the opening verses of our gospel often go unnoticed, but they offer some insights. Luke acknowledges that there were many who wrote about Jesus. Consider that this was only a few decades after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven, and a time when the church was being persecuted by both the Romans and the Jewish authorities. Nevertheless, there were, says Luke, eyewitnesses who saw, heard, and experienced who Jesus was, what he said, and what he did. Luke tells us that there were also what he calls ministers of the word, suggesting an order within that early church in Jerusalem that had the task of preaching in the church, who also felt compelled to write things down. Now, why this need to record what Jesus said and did? Why this need to write all these different accounts, most of which have not survived? Simple. Man is designed for truth, and those who know the truth have a duty, a responsibility to share it. There is nothing in this world, no power, human or demonic, that can prevail over the truth. Luke, a physician and a convert, sought to write what he called an orderly sequence of the events of Jesus' life, suggesting that he made a great effort to bring all the information he had available and write what would become known as his gospel. We believe he had Mark and Matthew's gospels available to him. He addressed the book to a man named Theophilus. This is not a Hebrew name, but Gentile, non-Jewish, telling us that this Theophilus had embraced the Christian faith. And it would be reasonable to suggest he took the name Theophilus at his baptism. Theophilus is mentioned a second time as Luke's recipient for his second work, the Acts of the Apostles. The name Theophilus can be translated as lover of God or beloved of God, suggesting there's a much wider audience than just that one man. And that audience is who? It's you. It's me. It's Everyone who is either a lover of God or beloved of God, whether they know it or not. The great scholar, the Venerable Bede, who lived between 672 and 735 in what we today call England, suggested a meaning behind Theophilus' name. And he wrote, Whoever then loves God or desires to be loved by him, let him think this gospel to have been written to him, a pledge entrusted to his care. Have you ever thought of the gospel being written for, addressed to you? Because it is. Our gospel then jumps from chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, to chapter 4. When we find ourselves in the synagogue in Nazareth with all the other worshipers, Jesus is worshiping his Father with them. Now, stop for a moment and ask, why would Jesus, who has always been, is now, ever shall be one in being with his Father, worship with other human beings? 
In becoming one of us, Jesus took on our human nature. Therefore, he also took on our human soul and human nature. The human soul is designed to worship. And if that worship is not directed to God, it will be directed to something or someone, a political ideology, some cause, a hero figure. But the worship of anything other than God will always disappoint and ultimately will destroy one's humanity. So if he who is God in the flesh worships God with our human heart, with our human nature, our human soul. What excuse can any human being have to deny God worship? The worship of God, then, is the ultimate affirmation of one's humanity and the humanity of others. And notice that by worshiping in that synagogue with others, Jesus also teaches by example that worship is never a personal matter. It is always communal. Jesus stood up to read. Now perhaps he was called upon to proclaim the word. Perhaps it was a task that men volunteered for. We don't know. He was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. The scroll was literally that, a scroll, not a book as we are accustomed to our Bible. And even in contemporary synagogues, if when you purchase a scroll of Isaiah, it will come into different parts, or it could come in one large scroll. And if you unrolled it, it would go from that wall to that wall. And in those days, there was no chapter, no verse. You had to have absolute familiarity with the scroll to know the passage you wanted to read from. And I always find it interesting that Jesus was handed the scroll I marvel at the idea that sinful human hands passed onto him who is the word of God and who was with his father when Isaiah was inspired to write the word of God centuries earlier. Jesus read the passage he wanted. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. Then he rolled up the scroll. He handed it to the synagogue attendant, who would have probably placed it in the tabernacle, and Jesus sat down. That is the position of one who is about to teach. And in that synagogue, all looked at him, says the gospel, intently. And Jesus gave the shortest sermon ever. Today, this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. Why were the people looking at Jesus intently? Why was Jesus' sermon so short? The two are connected. They were looking intently at Jesus because they did not hear just words, but he who is the word of God, proclaiming the word of God. They sensed something extraordinarily powerful was in their midst, and they were right. Do we have that same sense when we come into the church to worship? 
when bread and wine now become the body, the blood, the soul, and divinity of Jesus? They sensed a renewal of hope. Do we? They were like any congregation today in any church. All kinds of people with all kinds of concerns and worries. Marriages that are struggling. Fears about children's futures. Sickness, the imminent death of a loved one. Financial struggles, dealing with malicious gossip in the community. Those in authority saying cruel things about others. Political instability, religious divisions, you name it. When Jesus proclaimed the message from the prophet Isaiah and then said, today the scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing, everyone in that congregation experienced a gift from God, a resurgence of hope. It is, after all, hope that sustains us. Jesus' sermon was one sentence because he knew what those people really needed And he knows right now what you and I need, and that is hope. The courage to persevere, to keep putting one foot forward, to trust that there is no darkness so dark that his light cannot penetrate it, that our lives have meaning, no matter what the powers of this world tell us. Those people sense something wonderful, something profound, just happened as they worshipped. Do we?